0: Sorry, Mum, I don't quite get that diagram. Where are my legs? At this point, Ami lies down on the bed and positions herself on her back with her legs spread and bent at the knees. Well, Mum, you don't have to. Ami is lying on her back and smiling. This is what I did. Good Mum. See how my legs are just naturally spread... I'm making myself as wide as possible. I mean, the only other way is if you're on top. That's good for the first time because you're in control, but I don't think you should do that when you're not ready. Yeah. At this point, my father walked in, <laughs> saw the two of us, my mother, Spread Eagle, and said, Ah, yes, listen to her. She knows what she's doing. <laughs>
1: What a great story this is. Rana Hussain talking about the birds and the bees chat she got from her devout hijab-wearing mother on the eve of her arranged marriage in India. Rana is a member of the Outer Sanctum radio show and podcast. She's also the Diversity and Inclusion Officer for Cricket Australia. It's a great episode. The Speak Holler podcast is sponsored by the Podcast Reader. It is a new magazine for the intellectually curious long-form podcast fan. And it's now a quarterly publication, hard copy and PDF. Issue 5 is on newsstands. It has the Statue of Liberty on the front cover, The Price of Primacy. It has an excellent interview with Patricia Farah. She appeared on Conversations with Tyler on Newton, Scientific Progress, and the Hidden Women of Science. I really liked that one. Get hold of the podcast reader. Find out more at podread.org. And if you want to get a copy of Issue 5 as a free PDF, get in touch. Email them at hello at podread.org and mention SpeakOla and say good on you for supporting SpeakOla, David. And I'm very happy to be sponsored by him. We shall fight on the beaches. We will fight on the
0: landing grounds. We shall fight in the Spicola. fields.
1: If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Fraud, sham, and hypocrisy. Change
0: within the system. Spicola. The hollow man of anger and bitterness. All must be left to a bygone
1: age. I understand victory. I understand sacrifice.
0: Speak, up. I
1: may not get there with you. Speakola with Tony Wilson. Hello, Team Speakola. Welcome to the podcast. It is Tony Wilson, and today I'm bringing you a great episode of the podcast. We're doing a storytelling episode. We've done one before. Had Rob Carlton on talking about a stick that is special to his family. A really amazing and beautiful and quite sad story. If you want to look back to, I think it's episode 16 or 17. But this is episode 32 now, and the special guest is Rana Hussain, and what an eloquent and amusing and interesting and world-changing woman Rana Hussain is going to be. She is an inclusion and diversity officer for Cricket Australia. Rana is also part of a podcast called The Outer Sanctum, Emma Race, part of the hosting team, Felicity and Lucy Race as well, Alicia Sometimes, Nicole Hayes. I think I've just named the Hawthorne supporters, of which they have an impressive number. But the Outer Sanctum podcast, a terrific listen. Rana Hussain was part of an event on the 16th of January 2021 at Comedy Republic. And the reason I know about that is that I was part of the event too. I was on the bill. And the brief was to tell a story, to read a story about something new and i was in the audience and treated to a speech from rana that just made me laugh so hard it's just a very funny story from rana hussain's private life a very private life which dovetails into some some quite serious discussion about society and racism and some of the themes that dominate her work and that's what we're going to be chatting about today Regular listeners would know that the usual format is to interview the person and then play the speech Well today I thought I'd flip that as we did with Rob Carlton Because storytelling works best when there are no spoilers When you can kind of enjoy it as the storyteller intended So for this one I'm going to play the audio Which has been kindly given to us by the people at Comedy Republic And they have a very rich program of great comedy coming up at the Comedy Festival au. Before I play the speech I'll mention again The Patreon page Speak all as an independent podcast We have the one sponsor The podcast reader But no advertising on the website And no ad service Inserting into the podcast So if you want to keep us Relatively ad free It makes a huge difference If you can become Someone who is a listener Supporter Patreon.com forward slash speakola or speakola.com forward slash donate. And now Rana.
0: Speakola. Would you please welcome to the stage Rana Hussein? <laughs> so when I I was asked to do this. I thought new is the topic. I better look that up and see what that actually means in the dictionary. And one of the phrases that was written was produced, introduced or discovered recently or now for the first time. And this, of course, made me think about firsts and I've had many. So I thought I'd share with you two significant firsts tonight. And both of them sort of have something tangentially to do with me being a Muslim woman and of course when you say first there's that first that comes to mind for most people anyway but growing up in a fairly conservative Indian Muslim household that was never a topic of conversation so you can imagine what a moment it was for me when at the age of 20 on the eve of my first arranged marriage my mother sat me down to take me through the birds and the bees So instead of a story about my first time, which, Rebecca, you can bring me back for if you like, (laughs) I thought I'd share with you the first time my hijab-wearing, devout, Muslim Indian mother, who, by the way, freaked out when I wore shorts to a year eight pool party, talked to me about sex. The conversation went something like this. Do you know about sex? "'Of course, Mum. You're getting married tomorrow. "'I've had this talk with your sisters, even your sister-in-law, "'and I've had the talk again after the wedding night "'when they came back, confused and worried. "'One of them, I won't tell you who, had no idea what she was doing "'and it was very hard for her. Stop giggling difficult. "'She needed support. "'She kept coming back to me for months, actually. "'She wanted the baby, you see. "'I told her, you've got to have some fun too.' She worked it out eventually, so don't make that face. This is the time. Let's go through it. (laughs) Trust me, you'll want to know. Yeah, but mum, I already know I'm fine. But no one told me. You're lucky you have a mum like me. I'm a doctor too, you know. I know about these things. Yes, mum, I know. You're a doctor. We've met before. (laughs) Don't be rude. Trust me, please. Let's just go over it. I'm 20 years old, I didn't grow up in Hyderabad, in whatever ancient time you did, I know about sex. Actually, I didn't know about sex at all, not really. Also, the idea of my very, very devout Muslim mother willing to give me the birds and the bees talking this way felt very titillating, and so I kind of just let it happen. Now, you know, the man's penis goes into the vagina. Yes, I know that. Do you know where your vagina is? Of course, seriously mum, do you know where it is? I mean, I know there's the hole you pee out of and that's not it. No, okay, I'm drawing you a diagram. (laughs) No, mum, I don't need a diagram. She drew a diagram. I mean, if you think it'll help. Here, that's your your ishi hole, that's your clitoris. Lots of women need that to be stimulated to help them along. You can ask him to touch that for you, it might help. If you keep going along there, yet yeah, that's it. That's the hole you want. Um, okay, thanks, mum. Look, it's all in the position, really. I think the best thing to do is... And she begins drawing again. <laughs> you place your legs like that. He enters you like that. It should go in easy as long as you're relaxed. I know it's not easy, but try your best to be as relaxed as possible. The more tense you are, the more it will hurt. They're all muscles, you see, so if you make them tight, it's just going to hurt more when he pushes through. You want his penis to just slide in. This is already quite painful. Thanks, (laughs) Mum. Yeah, it's just one of those things you have to get through, really. No pain, no gain. It gets good. It's all in the practice. Keep doing it and you'll find it can be good. Sorry, Mum, I don't quite get that diagram. Where are my legs? At this point, Ami lies down on the bed and positions (laughs) herself... (laughs) On her back with her legs spread and bent at the knees. Well, Mummy, don't have to. Amy is lying on her back and smiling. This is what I did. Good Mum. See how my legs are just naturally spread? I'm making myself as wide as possible. I mean, the only other way is if you're on top. That's good for the first time because you're in control, but I don't think you should do that one. You're not ready. At this point, my father walked in, <laughs> saw the two of us, my mother, Spread Eagle, and said, Ah, yes, listen to her, she knows what she's doing.
1: <laughs>
0: that was The Birds and the Bees by Mariam Hussein. And as mortifying as that was, I will say, it's not like I haven't thought about those diagrams since. <laughs> and oh, look, I wasn't going to share this today, but today, when after I called my partner to go through what I just read to you and I said to him, look, he was in the car and I said, look, I'm just going to read it. I don't want you to interrupt me. I just want to hear what it sounds like out loud. And I launched into it. And then at the end, he very politely said, yeah, that's good. Um, You realise your daughter's in the back seat? (laughs) And so my daughter today got the birds and the bees talk as well all right, I'll get the diagrams to it later. (laughs) Anyway, it proved to be a successful chat, obviously, because I did, years later, fall pregnant, which brings brings me to the other first I wanted to tell you about, slightly different. And it's a first I had with my little girl. It was day three of our life together as mother and daughter. I was in the midst of what is called the day three blues, but should really be called day three hormone-induced torrential flooding from the eyes. Day three after having a baby for me was like waking up on the other side of the looking glass, entirely separated from the rest of the world, dropped in a new jungle that I had to wade my way through very much alone. And on this day, I was alone. My partner, who I wouldn't let out of my sight for two days, had to, in fact, leave my side. And so I was to be alone with my child for the first time. I had a C-section and was having trouble feeding and so I was booked an appointment with the hospital's in-house lactation nurse. If you haven't seen a lactation nurse, it's basically the process of being coached on how to breastfeed your child. Something you assume is going to be kind of magical and a seamless process your body just can do the minute you become a mother, but in fact, no, some of us need some help. And on day three of being a mum, I needed help. Already stressed that my body wasn't doing what it should, that I couldn't feed my baby, me and my painful C-section scar shuffled along the hospital corridor. My daughter was in her hospital crib and we arrived at the nurse's office where two women were already sitting with their new babies and new mum boobs out in all their glory. Now, while day three was truly a horrendous day, it was also the day... I had decided to pull out the sweet little onesie I had bought in my pregnancy bliss a few months earlier. It was gray and little and had a tiny hood and I thought it was the cutest thing ever. I couldn't wait for the day I got to dress my little baby girl in that onesie with the little hood. You're late, said the nurse. Sit here, get your boobs out, get your baby out. With that warm welcome, I began to unwrap my little girl from her swaddle as carefully as new mothers do. At this point, the nurse came over, took one look at my daughter in her cute onesie with the hood on and said, this is just so unnecessary. She is a baby. She does not need to wear that. I understand you have a culture, but she is a baby and she will overheat. You're a mother now and you have to think about that. She then tut-tudded like the champion tut tutter she was, rolled her eyes and turned back to deal with one of the other new mothers who wasn't late and in her eyes wasn't forcing religion onto their child at the age of three days old. New, introduced or discovered for the first time. This was the first time my daughter experienced racism. This was the first time she and I experienced racism together. The first time I felt shamed for a choice I made as a mother. And while this was all very new, some of it was familiar too. With her assumptions about me, the bitterness with which she spoke to me and her unwillingness to see me or even pause for a response from me also ignited a flipboard of muscle memory inside me. A lifetime of words spoken in the same vein, headlines splashed over newspapers, suspicious glances, utterances, assumptions directed at me. I knew it was my job to step up at that moment for my daughter, defend her, defend myself, call it out, be the change I wanted to see in the world. But I had nothing. I was tired. I was scared. I felt alone. This was the first time I felt like I truly failed as a mother. I sat down, took my boobs out, Took my baby out. Thank you. I just realised that you're very close and you've got a lot of details about me just <laughs> like right there. So, apologies. <laughs> that was amazing, Runner. That was fantastic. Runner Hussein!
1: A really powerful ending to an amazing bit of storytelling. Two firsts. And a really skillful linchpin in the middle of those two firsts, with the car conversation, which reveals the existence of her daughter. There's so much to talk about, and Rana is so very good at talking. So here's the interview that I did with Rana this week. Speakola. Well, how exciting to be back doing an interview in person. And my special guest for this episode, Rana Hussein. Thanks for joining me.
0: Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: At the kitchen table.
0: Oh. So with the coffee in hand.
1: Yep. I sprayed it down, put a little bit of uh, cleaner on it. It's COVID safe. We've got a good one and a half metres and it's great to have you here, Rana. What a speech. We've just listened to it and I loved it live and in person and I loved it again, <laughs> listening to it now. What a mum. What, what a story. Amazing.
0: Oh, you were so generous that night too. You did pat me on the back and say, well done. And I really needed it because I felt very vulnerable that night. <laughs> It was it was not easy doing that. I don't know how you do it all the time.
1: Well the thing is I, I chose a topic that was a lot safer. I was talking about <laughs> a, a football speech from the early nineties from my under nineteens days. But you really did delve into your private life, the most private parts of your life, I guess. Um, wedding eve. Tell us about the decision making to choose that as the story. Was it a was that the jump off the cliff?
0: Yeah, I think it was. Look, it was a lineup of incredible people, including yourself. And I just thought, if I'm going to match Cal Wilson, Loris Lung, uh, Annie Louie, and I just felt like I had to kind of bring it. But also, I was looking back through things that I'd written, and that was a piece that I'd just written because I knew it needed to be written but had done nothing with and kind of hadn't looked over again either. And so I thought, ah, oh, I always thought that this should be read out loud. It's not something for just the page. So I thought maybe this is my moment. And then being in a room, and it's not a big room, you almost feel like in a big room you can do some vulnerable things and just ignore that there is an audience, but they were very close. <laughs> I was sitting really, really close, and I was talking about my mum talking to me about sex, and I thought, "Oh, these people in the front row,
1: <laughs> these poor people." I'm so sorry. So tell us, tell us about your life as a writer. Like it sounds like you do record things, and you're a diarist. And so yeah, tell us about your life as a writer. Uh,
0: I'm a writer in my head, and that's about it. <laughs> I don't know that I have aspirations to be a writer. I write things down, I do go through life thinking about it as what would that look like on a page and, you know, how would I write about that and so I do and I have, I think I have a few novels in my head but that's the extent of it and then on a very practical level, I do a lot of opinion writing in, you know, columns and things like that mostly on sport and my day job as an inclusion and diversity specialist but I, you know, straight out of high school, I did a creative arts degree and majored in creative writing. Uh, so I always thought that by the age of 36, I would have a book and I don't and it kills me.
1: <laughs> well, I am absolutely sure it's coming and if it's of the quality that you cranked out on that night, no, it's going to be an amazing book. But tell us, take us back. I mean, we meet the character of your mum. I feel like we should know mm. more about her. Like you've got to tell us, you mentioned that she was grew up – in the ancient days, on the streets of Hyderabad, <laughs> I think you said. But tell us about your mum.
0: Yeah, my mum is just formidable. Uh, so she, her name's Mudiem. She is a doctor. She's a psychiatrist, and she came out to Australia in the early seventies with my dad. They came out as skilled migrants. Australia needed doctors at the time, and she, she's just one of those women that is. Just classic migrant mum in that she doesn't take any shit. (laughs) Um, She will work you to the bone on your school holidays. Like every school, you know, I would say, oh, my friends are doing things. We're doing things on the holidays, aren't we? And she'd say, no, holidays is for cleaning. Like now that you don't have to be at school, let's clean out all the cupboards. Let's get all the chores done. That's what holidays are for. Are you kidding? Like she just, that's, so I remember every school holidays was like, I would dread holidays because it meant we'd have to like clean out the cupboards, line them with old newspapers and then um, restack everything.
1: And what's her what's her demeanour? Is she a fast talker? Is she a kind of a bundle of energy, or is she?
0: No, she's a. I, <laughs> this is terrible. The first words that came to my head was "smiling assassin," which is like that's the worst thing to call your mum. But she's very graceful and elegant. But she's a real tough woman, and she she's the kind of woman that will give you feedback whether you ask for it or not. But massive heart and kind just. Absolutely devoted to her family, but you know, could be brutal and (laughs) just honest to a fault. Is my mother
1: and tell us about their experience. I mean, you mentioned it's a really, I think, quite a, uh, an impactful and 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 a sad story that you you share with us at at the end of the piece. But what sort of things did your parents face in Mm. in their early years? When were their early years here?
0: Yeah, so they came out in 1970 and. It's such an interesting time to uh, be a brown person who moves to Australia because the white Australia policy is just dismantled. But they've come out to work and they've been kind of invited to work. So Australia wants them and wants their skills, but culturally doesn't want them at all. So it's a weird place to be. And they, my parents, you know, worked in hospitals in Hobart and Launceston and Bendigo. And they talk about, kind of matching the other doctors academically, but being completely on the outer and even blatantly made fun of for their accents, for being Indian, you know, shipping over spices because they just weren't available. So even just just the ver- that quintessential feeling of not belonging and building that belonging for themselves. And so they were very big on community and building, you know, local mosques and getting together with other um, Muslim migrants and Indian migrants. And for them, their mantra to us, and I feel like it's you so imprinted on my brain is that we moved we left everything um to make your lives better so you're not allowed to move away from us and in fact my parents have just moved into the house in front of my house
1: really <laughs> yeah we've, were, were they invited to do that
0: they absolutely weren't invited <laughs> <laughs> um but we've got it anyway and it's great because now i have baby free babysitting all the time which is wonderful my brother's next door you know, for them, the idea of my sisters who live kind of two or three suburbs away is too far. It's just, you know, and it used to really annoy me. And now I'm like, actually, I get it. They did. They left everything to build that for themselves. So why would they kind of release us out into the world, even though sometimes I think. A little bit of distance might be nice.
1: Well, I remember just having tears of laughter in that very close front row that you talk about at Comedy <laughs> Republic as you told the story. And the thing I thought about actually was the sketch from John Cleese <laughs> in The Meaning of Life, I think it is, when they teach the school kids about <laughs> yeah. sex and he and his wife are in a bed at the front of <laughs> of the classroom. And I thought, you've, you've got the real live version almost Saving without the partner, thankfully. Well,
0: I absolutely did. And the funny thing is, even when my mum was having that conversation and like there is not a lot of poetic license in that I have to say, like it was an easy thing to write because it actually happened. And even as it was happening and it was mortifying and I was kind of terrified about what was going to come next in my life but also like what is this moment with my mum that I never thought I'd have. There was a part of me, and maybe I am a writer, that was like, remember this? You're going to write this down? This is gold.
1: (laughs) And so, I assumed that she was at least a GP or something like that. But she's a psychiatrist. She's a psychiatrist.
0: (laughs) It's so funny. Growing up, my friends would always say to me, are your parents are we They're not the typical Indian parent and I think it's because they're doctors and so they come at everything with just a real kind of matter-of-factness and, you know, like when it came to talking to us about periods, everything was just like, yeah, well, this is what it is and, you know, let's move on. Like it's very medical and clinical and <laughs> same with thing with birds and the bees.
1: Well, it's interesting. You also just mentioned as a throwaway comment in the speech that this was an arranged marriage. And can you tell us about that, what the experience of an arranged marriage is?
0: Yeah, maybe in the context of that, it does make a little bit more sense. So, for us, arranged marriages is the norm. So, like for everybody else that you would date and maybe, you know, Tinder or Hinge or whatever people are on now is the norm. For us, it's just a facilitated marriage where you don't date beforehand, but through your contacts, you get kind of paired with someone or matched with someone and then you investigate okay is this the person for me and love and romance is very different in these traditional faiths and cultures where you get matched and you sign up for it in a very kind of -of matter-of-fact business-like way and then the romance grows and you choose it uh, and you work at it so in that context it kind of makes sense but um, I was I obviously grew up here and while yes raised by my parents was also raised by my tv and music (laughs) and film and so I've always lived in these two worlds and so the night before an arranged marriage kind of coming to fruition is very very
1: nerve-wracking I have to say so I mean I My entire knowledge of arranged marriages comes from Fiddler on the Roof (laughs) uh, and and the matchmaker character in that. Is there such a thing in in the Muslim community?
0: Oh yeah, there's plenty of them. In fact my mum is (laughs) My Mum has tried to be one and it's not an official thing. It's just you just become one. And it kind of the more matches you make, the more people come to you to make them a match. And so my mum has really tried my mum doesn't fail at much, but this is something that I think she's probably <laughs> failing at only and she tries really hard and I remember a conversation with her where an auntie of mine is doing really well in the matchmaking endeavor and my mum being really disgruntled and saying why does she why does she have this success rate like what am i doing wrong and she just she's just trying so hard and so now we're at the point where (laughs) any two young people that are single she's like right what can i do with
1: this is there a business element to it do people get paid for making the match
0: some yeah there are businesses now that do it you know it's gone tech you know there's it used to be that you'd put an like an ad in the papers saying I have a daughter and here are the kind of basic details, call us. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um, but now it's much more, um, there's so much, like it's an actual industry now around it. But, you know, you can't always trust those. I think the the way to do it, if, you, if you're in the market, Tony, um, is to go to someone you know and say, I'm ready to get married or I have a child who's ready to get married. If you know anyone, good hit me up and let's talk. That's basically how it works.
1: And your experience, who was the guy? You, can you talk about that? Was he is uh, your ex-partner, is not he?
0: Yes, he's my ex-partner, so <laughs> it clearly didn't work out. Um, my mom's <laughs> advice wasn't great. Um no. It, it was sort of a family friend of a family friend of a family friend, which again, you know, you need to find someone that you can who can vouch for them because you're effectively Tying yourself to someone who you really don't know, and it's you've got you're going off word of mouth, and you've got to do your own research and investigation. So, this was yeah, you know, through a, some kind of vague connection, his you know young man also excited about getting married I think for him if I'm honest the prospect of marrying a girl from Australia who he could move to Australia with and build his life um was really exciting and so I think that's what I was to him and I was you know looking for (laughs) um the punk version of an Indian suitable marriageable man (laughs) like I think it was doomed from the start in that sense um and I'm not painting, you know, arranged marriages in a very good light. So I should say that my sisters and my brother have all had arranged marriages and they've, they've gone really well. Um, and they were born and raised here. It's not for everyone, but it can work really, really well. And I've seen it. It's a kind of wish that it was that simple for me.
1: Is it common for it to be an overseas exchange? So someone comes out from India or is, is it usually the extended community here? Or it can just be both?
0: Uh, it can be both. I think the preference nowadays is that it's someone local. I think less and less people are kind of bringing in people from overseas. Um, and it actually just costs a lot of money. Like my family were able to do it and support us, but not every family can do that. So I think the ideal is someone local, someone you're really compatible with. And more and more, uh, just it just seems so obvious now, young people are finding their own partners. So it's less and less arranged. But young people, especially Muslim people, are still they might meet someone at uni and then go home and say, okay, I met someone. I think they're pretty good. Let's start a process. And that's then the kind of more official stuff happens. So now there's, we're getting to that kind of
1: hybrid place now. And what was the first meeting like? Where was it? Are there, is it, is there, are there chaperones <laughs> off to the side and you get allocated 15 minutes to chat? Or how um, did it work?
0: That's l- pretty close. <laughs> uh, his family came over to visit. My parents had already met up with them you know, a week before. His whole family came, all his sisters. And they sort of look you over and you're very shy And, you know, you're not meant to be culturally, especially from the area of India that I'm from, you're meant to be a bit demure. So, there was also a little bit of acting on my part (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not demure. And then one by one, families sort of disappear, pretending to go make tea or find something or, oh, I think I heard someone call my name. Till the point where you're left alone with the other person <laughs> and then you can you're meant to have a good conversation but we were both very young and so the first conversation was like we're both looking at our feet and I think I asked you know are you okay with me if I work because I'm gonna work he said yep no problem with me he said do you like music I said yeah yep <laughs> it like which, which
1: bands did he like
0: <laughs> he was very into whatever you know bollywood star was prominent at the time and he had no idea not not his fault but no idea who you know mxpx was that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was okay we made it work for a little while
1: and you've got to take us back to the moment of the chat from your mum. Where were you? Was it her bedroom? <laughs> what was the what was the location?
0: No, it was uh, – no, it actually was her bedroom. So, we were in India. The wedding was in India. So, we were in India staying at my auntie's. So, she called me into the room to where my parents were staying and and she said, right, <laughs> I've got, you know, we just have to have talk about a few things. And she sat me down on the bed and then, you know, the conversation started. Yeah, yeah. And I just remember all throughout saying to her, mum, I, I know, like, it's fine. You don't have to do this. And she was just determined. It was like something she had to, like a to-do list she had to tick off. But then as she, the further she got into it, I remember going, Oh, I don't. I don't actually know a lot about this. Maybe like this is really actually very interesting and helpful. <laughs> and then the when the di- <laughs> the diagrams. So ha-
1: has she prepared with a whiteboard at this point? Like has she brought one in, or is this on a pad?
0: But oh, this or? is very on the fly for her. But but that that she felt like that was going to be helpful. Um, and I I have a feeling that. The Birds and the Bees talk that I got was workshopped one that had my sisters previously had gotten. Yeah. And she kinda tweaked it every time. And by the time I got the <laughs> the Birds and the Bees talk, it was very much like, right, here's what I missed last time. So I'm gonna make sure I cover all bases. And the one part by- <laughs> <by that> still <laughs> I can't I still can't believe is that um she it didn't occur to her how excruciating it might be for me that she should act out <laughs> <laughs> what a good position might be and where i should position my body and that my father will come in as he does <laughs> at some point into the room and she just it just it to her it was like yeah this is just information that you should have yeah and I kind of – now I go, that is so cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's what so about cool. just the uh, the offhand, you could go on top, but I wouldn't try <laughs> that yet.
0: <laughs> she, and the funny part is um, after kind of the wedding – this is so much personal information. Tell me if it's too much for you. Um, after the wedding night and after kind of having a few days of married bliss, I did go back to her and say – let's have that conversation again like i think now i'm kind of ready for the next you know to to have another conversation <laughs> about
1: yeah you're a good resource as it and turns out like, like
0: actually yeah you you know you know a bit let's <laughs> let's go again
1: well so as your dad said she knows what she's talking you about know, oh. that's a good line too
0: <laughs> it's it's still awkward <laughs>
1: I mean, when the topic came out and it was first, you had a great opportunity to do a link, right? Because, um, well, you had a great bridge as well, as it turns out, because you could introduce the topic of your daughter just by what had happened that day.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, it's so hard. Like, I will say, even talking about this now, I am wary of mining my personal life for content. (laughs) And... After that day, I walked away thinking, okay, maybe my mum deserved it a little bit, and <laughs> <so> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, and she's an adult. My daughter, on the other hand, I think I always think about what's she going to think later when she's older to hear this? Like, am I just repeating the sins of my mother in absolutely humiliating her by talking about her all the time? But, yeah, that that day and... That story even about her birth is one that I feel like is so important to talk about because that is the world that she was brought into. And if I don't, I don't know, if I don't like kind of stand up and speak about all of those things, she's not going to know that she deserves so much better.
1: And so, was that a story that you wrote at the time? Have you recorded that? on the day were you sort of like heartbroken and went and wrote it down or is it something again that you've that you you wrote even for this event that we were doing
0: uh no I wrote it for the event that we were doing but I had written it down in the form of a letter to the hospital actually so I pulled that out and kind of went over um what I had written to them although the feeling has not changed like It's so present for me. It doesn't take me much to go back to that moment mentally, but I did write it specifically for that night. And in the years, my daughter turned seven today as of recording and the issue hasn't gone away. So we still get from her, you know, why aren't I blonde? You know, I wish I were blonde. And of course we all want to be the thing that we're not. So there's something kind of human in that. But I see it when she's with, you know, my side of the family, she doesn't have that conversation. When she's with my partner's side of the family, they're, you know, white, Australian, blonde, blue-eyed, she comes home feeling lesser than. And it's really fascinating to me. So I I do endeavour to kind of make sure that she's surrounded by lots of diversity really, not one way or the other, but she just gets the full mix or as much mix as possible. But no, I wrote it specifically for that night and I was really worried actually because the, the first story was so kind of rambunctious and silly and I knew that I was going to end on a real down and, but only as I started it and watching the audience, I was like, oh, bugger, I really feel bad for the person coming next because <laughs> I've like totally taken the mood down and just left everybody there. So I do, I have wondered since if, the better thing to have done was to kind of find an uptick. But I don't know that there would have been as much power in that.
1: No, I thought the – I mean, my dad always he's his old school adage of speaking, you know, make them laugh, make them cry, make them think. And, you know, I think, you know, make them laugh certainly made me think. I'm not sure I cried, but I could have. You know, it's horrible to think that those things happening It doesn't really matter the order. And it wasn't – even though it's called Comedy Republic where we're Mm. doing the gig – they haven't asked us in as comedians and so there, there's some license. I think I finished my story with the news that the guy who'd given the very funny and great speech that I focused on, he acquired a brain injury yeah. in a car accident. And yeah. That's how I left my next speaker, you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I, I handed over to you <laughs> with an acquired brain injury. So, you know, I, yeah. I, th- I thought you'd, you you were masterful.
0: Oh, thank you. I think um, it was such a good experience for me to be able to – actually hear what my writing sounds like as well because you read it out loud to yourself but you don't get the feedback. So, to have go through that process of writing it and then reading it aloud. Also, coming after you, I have to say, I was like, damn it, I'm not a performer. Like, you read yours so... Like, you embodied yours and I loved that so much and I thought, oh, God, okay. <laughs>
1: and so, Rhonda, did you... What about reading out as well? I mean, did you feel – I feel like yours could go the next step to become no script, stand up and tell that story in a moth-type scenario. Is that is that something you've thought of doing? Oh,
0: I would love to do that. I think that's where I, de- I definitely want to get to because more and more I do like to perform. I don't know if I'm any good at it but I like doing it and – I think there's something in narration and in telling stories like that. So, I would love to do that. And I think that piece is probably perfect for it. And I reckon I've got a
1: few more. Oh, absolutely. You've got to do it. Kale Wilson, actually, I think she still hosts it. But the moth does have an incarnation here in Australia. And I'm sure she'd love you to deliver that when when the topic fits there if you if you have another opportunity
0: i will say you asked me about you know the conversation that my daughter had that day and I didn't really talk to it but she does ask me a lot of questions about you know life and where she came from and how it all works and i often think am i will i give the same talk to my daughter i think about that all the time <laughs> I reckon I will.
1: At <laughs> what age though? Because we have daughters that are two weeks apart. My daughter's just turned seven and yours is turning seven this April Fool's morning indeed. But what, what a, age would you, so she asks me where babies come mm. from and I kind of go, well, they come from the mum and the dad, yeah. um, but I, I don't necessarily draw the diagram, if you know what I mean, yet. <laughs> so would you, would, are you sort of committed and if you get asked that question straight, yeah. you'll, you'll go anatomical on her?
0: Well, we, yeah, well, we have so far, like well, to a degree we have already done that. We're really committed to being honest with her and this kind of making sure that it's honest enough that she's she's getting the truth but not too honest that she doesn't <laughs> burst someone else's bubble at school and, <laughs> you know, or misquote us. So she knows. So <laughs> the other side of this conversation is that she has a dad who is – very determined to give her all the truth all the time. So, (laughs) a short story. The other day she asked me what happens when a bomb hits the earth and I was like, "Uh, that's a question for you, Dad. And so, I palmed it off to him. I left the room. I came back. They're sitting there looking at his phone of videos of Hiroshima.
1: (laughs) That got big quick.
0: I just thought, what. What kind of parenting is this? So, that's the level that we're talking about. <laughs> so, she, my daughter can talk about fallopian tubes. She, You know, she knows the anatomical names. She kind of knows what happens. But she did ask me the other day, mum, you've told me how babies come out. So, she does know where they come out of. Um, you haven't told me how they get in there. <laughs> yeah. So, you well- know. You know
1: it's in your blood it's, Here yeah. I've got this, this like, I've, I've got, got th- this pad <laughs> Come got, over here
0: <laughs> I've got the diagram ready And I'm limbering up for the, <laughs> for the physical
1: <laughs> no, You've got to get your grant Your grant what, do you, what does she call her She calls her
0: Nani I know I thought Nani
1: we need you <laughs> <laughs> We've got a seven year old.
0: That poor kid. She's gonna get the full the full show, I think, between me and her grandmother. Have
1: you ever compared with siblings your shows?
0: Oh that I haven't. I did I did when it came to like menstruation and stuff and I got a really I got the opposite. I got we <laughs> were in the car, um, about to do the grocery shopping and mum said <laughs> Do you know about, do you know what a period is? And I said, yeah. And she's like, okay, cool. I don't have to tell you that. (laughs) And that was it. So um, I think my siblings didn't get quite the show that I got, which partly also offends me because did my mum think that I needed more help?
1: Were you out at university or something? Uh, yeah, uh, so I was at uni. So yeah, it, was, it wasn't it like was, I
0: was twenty years old. <laughs> yeah, I did really didn't need didn't need it, <laughs> but something about me screamed, "Give her <laughs> all the information."
1: <laughs> oh well, it's a it's a magic story, and you delivered it beautifully. And um, well, thank you so much for coming on Speak Ola and reliving it again with us.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. It was this, one of the scariest things I've ever done and I walked away actually thinking that I'd totally not nailed it. So, for you, the words that you said to me that night but also to ask me here to talk about it again has means the world.
1: Game, set, match, Rana Hussain. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Brana. You can hear her on the Outer Sanctum podcast She's not on every episode, but she's on lots of them. Thanks to the podcast reader, podread.org, or email hello at podread.org to get your free copy of the PDF mentioned Speakola. Thank you to David Brady for the theme music. Thank you to my loyal band of Patreon supporters. I think we're over 50 now, and there's donors on top of that. So thank you to you too. Patreon.com forward slash Speakola speakola.com forward slash donate those links are in the show notes too there's been so many good speeches so far in 2022 and people keep alerting me to them so please do that i'm at by tony wilson on twitter or you can email me tony at speakola.com i'll see you soon new episode shortly hopefully speak well i'll be trying to do the same i'm MCing at the olympic hotel this friday speaking to Kevin Sheedy. It's nice that a few speaking gigs are back on the agenda. Stay well, everyone. See you next time.